Welcome to Pet Sitter Confessional. Today we're brought to you by Time to Pet and the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. What is in a website? Turns out, actually, quite a lot. And to dive into that, today we are super excited to have Michaela Vargas, owner of Pet Marketing Unleashed, back on the show. She was previously on episode 143. And today she comes to us talking about how to keep our website fresh and what it means to actually update our website to engage our potential customers and to keep our existing ones. Let's get started. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be back and talking with you. It's so fun. I feel like whenever we get to catch up and talk business. So I am Michaela Vargas. I'm the owner of Pet Marketing Unleashed. As he said, um, we are a branding website design and we, um, content marketing um, website and agency kind of helping everybody pet service businesses in particular we work with probably I'd say like 80% plus pet sitters and pet care businesses um, but we really kind of create everything from the mindset of saving you time and getting your things to work for you whether it is a website whether it's a brand whether it's your blogging all that kind of stuff getting it to work for you so you can save time in your business because it's not just about pretty websites <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that that doing work for us is really important because yeah you can have something that's that's really beautiful that's really eye-catching or or maybe you have a website or something that 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 you've that you've made or that's out there but if it's not doing anything for you it kind of misses the the, the point of having that it's been a couple of years since we've been able to touch base on this I did want to ask kind of what what's exciting about websites or online presence these days what's kind of where where are you getting a lot of uh, traction or where are you f- focusing a lot a lot more these days yeah I'd say the biggest thing is kind of you know as we talk about getting your stuff to work for you I feel like a lot of functionality has really come to light of things that really you can automate on your website um so you know whether it's if you have a contact form and now you can redirect them to another page once they submit it instead of, you know, just having that success message on there. Like there's a lot of functionality that can come into play with your website. Um, obviously it depends on the website platform, what functionality you have. Um, but there's just really a lot that you can do when you dig into the user experience. I feel like that's kind of a big thing these days, especially when, you know, everyone always talks about Amazon and, you know, Amazon Prime and you get your order in, in, you know, one to two days at this point, not where I was in Flagstaff. That was <laughs> we got ours a lot later. Um, but in general, you know, we're used to that instant gratification. So I feel like that's a really big piece with, you know, website trends these days is like, how can you really get people started quicker? How can you get the information that they want faster um, while also providing kind of that personal experience that the pet industry really caters to? That is a fine balance to, I know that a lot of pet business owners really struggle with of really wanting to have this, uh, this almost, you know, holding hands uh, with your client as you walk them through step by step, this very involved process versus this, you could have a whole system that's purely automated, right? That just goes boom, 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 all the way through. You may never even phone call or talk to them in whatever manner. And so, you know, do you have a, a side that you fall out on there on on or or can maybe some questions people can ask themselves for how they navigate the difference between those two those two levels yeah that's a good question and it's something that actually pops up a lot um especially when i was building my um website template course was i actually got hopped on calls with pet sitters and asked them those sort of questions because i am such a systems like type a person but i want to make sure obviously in working with pet businesses i know that they they take their businesses very seriously when it comes to that personal touch. So it was kind of, how do you find that, you know, balance between the personal and the automation? Um, And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. But I think 
the more you're actually able to handhold them, whether it's something you're doing on the phone with them or on the website or via emails and things like that, you can definitely, the more you are able to kind of handhold them through the process, they feel like you're there with them. So even if it is something like, I mean, obviously personalizing your message and your, your content and your copy to really tailor it um, to them, you know, with emails, you can definitely personalize it and things like that. But also one of the things you can, for example, automate on your website is a call scheduler. So that's just one step that can save you time, but you're still hopping on the phone with them, right? But you're doing it in a way that's like, oh my gosh, someone's calling me right now and I'm on a dog walk and it's just crazy, right? But now you're setting up time and then you're not going back and forth via email. Like, are you available at this time? Are you available at this time? And it just really delays the process. So that's one automation that can still obviously have a personal touch point because you're hopping on the phone with them. Well, even as you mentioned, those personalized emails of after they submit a form, you can pull out their name, you can pull out the pet's name, and now put that into that email template that goes out to them. And and, and really helping people see what the next steps in the process, because all of us have a slightly different process of, of, of interacting with our clients. And I know the big thing for me is when we're on the phone with people going, okay, here are the three steps that you've done. We're on this step four. Here's the next five steps that are going to be happening. But that doesn't have to be a phone call. As you said, that could be the, on a website showing the progress through the where people are, like a status bar almost of like, here you are in our, in, and where until we can show up. And that way they're still kept in the loop. They know what's going on and they're fully informed. But you don't have to do that. doesn't have to be over a phone call. I think we lose sight of that a lot of times, especially we go, well, how do I translate that into a digital space? But going, well, visually, and there's some aspects that we can bring into this so that everybody is is fully informed. Right. Yeah. And even just the language that you're using, right? It's not just like, click this, you know, it's like, oh, we're so excited to have you, right? That could be still mm-hmm. written automate, like automatically. But, you know, we're so excited to, you know, welcome you to the pet care family. Here's the next step to like joining us. And you know what I mean? Like making it exciting language can really help personalize it, even if it's on an automated perspective. Yeah, a lot of the yeah, basically what you're saying is avoid the default words that show up whenever you like add a button. It's like button. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, I need to make that say something different. Where's my where's my personality? And I, that also I guess pulls in Michaela a little bit of of understanding how that fits in with the brand of our business too. Like given mm-hmm. what my brand is, what should this button say? How does that language fit in with everything that we stand for and that we want to represent? Exactly. Yeah. When you were asking too about what's exciting about websites, something else I thought of was just, there's a lot more freedom, I guess I could say in terms of personality and branding and stuff like that. So allowing that to come forth, allowing yourself to be unique, because there are a lot of pet, you know, pet care businesses out there. And one of the ways you can stand out, because I know a lot of ways, you know, you could be, um, some people specialize in like small dogs, big dogs, that sort of thing. But another thing you can really do to differentiate yourself is just allowing your personality to come through and allowing that to be your differentiator. You can resonate with so many people in that regard. Um, so yeah, tailoring, not just the, when I say branding too, that doesn't just mean your colors and your logo. It also means the copy and the language that you are using it, using in there. So allowing your personality to kind of edge in there as well, especially for such a personal business like pet care they're going to be connecting with you or your team. And you guys probably have a lot in common in that regard. And so using language that you guys would actually use in phone conversations and things like that could be really powerful. Yeah, it can't. I know. I, and you'll, you'll find if you, if you are on a phone call, if you're typing up an update to a client, 
pay attention to the words that you use. How do you refer to a group of pets? How do you refer to the client's homes? How do you refer to them? And those are words that you can start to pull in and then add to your website. It's it's a great place to start if you're like, well, I don't know. What do you mean? Like for me, if there's if a client has more than two pets, I'll pretty much always referring to them as the crew or the bunch. Like those are just phrases that I use to describe them. We should be using that in our website on our on our ad copy, uh, and th- that's an aspect that gets left behind a lot of times when we look at oh, I'm going to have a website. It needs to be informational. It needs to be functional, but that but it just needs to be that I just need to have that up there. And it kind of we lose that. It strips away the personality because it's it, it's hard to translate. I understand it's hard to translate that into uh, a good representation of yourself in, in the in the online space. For sure, I feel like there's an emphasis a lot of people think that they need to focus on just being very professional, but there's, there's components again, especially because the pet industry is so personal where like you can really bring that forth. And I think that that is a website trend that's coming, coming to light too, as there are more businesses out there to differentiate yourself is allowing those, the verbiage that you use your colloquial, colloquial language um, throughout your website is totally, totally cool to use. (laughs) Right. <laughs> well, I, I, something else that's been really popular um, has been a lot of use of AI in um, in businesses and in functionality that people have been looking for. From your perspective, Michaela, where are you seeing a lot of, of functionality in, in, or, or how are you using or implementing AI these days? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about AI because that's such a hot topic these days and people, it's kind of a controversial thing, especially, you know, I'm from the the side that like, you know, we produce content for clients. So like, oh my gosh, AI, you know, so there's a lot of hesitancy on, you know, in my industry, in my space, as far as that goes. Um, so I actually tested it out. Um, I used ChatPT and GBT and um, I was actually very impressed with, <laughs> with the responses and the things that, that you could populate within it. Um, however, I still kind of have a lot of those um, hesitancies. Um, I think the biggest things for people to know is that Number one, when you're talking about SEO and things like that, Google wants personal high value information and AI is taking from what's already on the internet. So when you are using AI, I really recommend using it as like a suggestion. So like if you're looking for content ideas or perhaps like an outline, but even then I would be hesitant and making sure that you're adding in your own spruce to like the content in that regard. Um, Also, a lot of AI is like, not updated in terms of like their capabilities and content. So like chat GPT is actually updated through September of 2021. So you're missing out on a lot, you know, things change so rapidly in terms of, you know, whether you're a dog trainer or a pet sitter or whatever it is, like best practices and things like that. It's, it is arguably outdated by the time you're actually getting your responses in there. Mm. Um, And again, you're pulling from what's already on the internet and like Google knows what's already on there. So if you're just kind of duplicating what's what it populated for you that information is already on the internet so that's something to really be careful of when you are trying to use ai yeah well and it gets back to that like to what end are we using this i think that's really what's important here is like if i'm just trying to fill out a blog space with you know effectively a statistically likely sequence of words because that's all chat gpt is doing is going what's the next likely word in this sequence um sure you can have a, a really full blog page with lots of words and lots of sentences involved in it. But if you're actually trying to benefit your website, or I I would argue even more importantly, benefit your your clients or potential clients, you, there it does need sounds like there does need to be some careful considerations that we need to take in. 
Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't say, you know, you 100% should not use it because there have been instances where, um, I, for fun, I actually am in the midst of, at the time that we're recording this, I'm in the midst of creating an SEO course for pet businesses. And I was like, okay, for fun, I'm like, write me an outline for an SEO course. I had already written my outline, but I have a section on there on AI. And I was like, I just want to, you know, play around here. And the outline was actually pretty impressive. And I was like, well, this is really interesting. You know, it's, it's like, how can it, you know, populate that sort of stuff? Mind you, I didn't read through like the complete details and we're personalizing it for the pet industry and that sort of thing. But I would just be very wary of using it specifically for the content on your website. Um, and things, you know, to make sure that you are personalizing it. Number one, fact checking it, because again, it's just pulling what's on the internet, which means it could not be true. Um, <laughs> and, and number two, making it your own, especially again, people are going to get pretty smart at learning what is human content versus what is computer generated content. Um, and it kind of seems like this is the theme already for this chat is like the pet industry is personal. So like, if we're not hearing, you know, this personal language from your you know pet business, then it, there's going to be a disconnect there. And that could be things that you can, you can say is, you know, like, for example, on my own end, if I'm writing content, it's kind of like as a website designer in the last 10 years, you know, like making it personal to like, this is my personal experience and here's the value and expertise I'm bringing to play. This is not computer generated. Um, so again, it, it can be used for suggestions and and perhaps ideas on like titles or something like that. But knowing that it's pulled already from what's on the internet is very valuable to know in terms of ranking for the content that you want to produce, right? There's there's a, a point there, not just producing the content, but also allowing people to see it, you know, through search engines. Yeah, and it's it sounds like from especially from your perspective, I'm I'm getting this sense of of using this too heavily um, or doing it without editing and customizing it and making it your own, right? That decreases the value of that content that you're producing, which means Google's less likely to service that and is less likely to rank you. So it, it could potentially end up hurt, hurting your, your visibility if, if you start viewing as a low quality content website. Yeah, for sure. And, and a lot of people are are predicting that Google is going to come up with better strategies to tell if it's human generated versus AI generated, because they are very, I mean, if you think about it from Google's perspective, they are a business as well. So if people are making searches on Google and all of the results are, well, this all looks the same. It's not very good information of what I'm looking for. Like that's not good on their end either. Right. So they're wanting high valuable, unique information. So even if you are populating something in AI, looking at it and saying, how can I spin this to make it fit my business, my personality, because it's likely you actually do have different opinions than, than what's being produced. And that, that is a different part of our brain, isn't it? Of Instead of generating content from whole cloth, from scratch, I'll say from scratch versus having an existing thing in front of us and then changing it to make our make it our own. Uh, I know you deal with a lot of like existing websites and existing stuff that's been produced and 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 make something new from it. Do you have any tips for us for for looking at this content and how we can go about customizing it? Because honestly, I've I've written I've had stuff generated in ChatGPT and gone well, that's pretty good. <laughs> what what do I how do I change that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's what I, I mean. That was kind of my initial reaction when I populated something too. I'm like, well, man, this actually sounds really good. But I think if you actually really read it word by word and kind of digest it, you'll realize number one, it doesn't sound like you. Number two, it doesn't sound personal. Like you can kind of tell and, and you actually can, I believe right back, like, can you 
make this like personality packed or add in puns or like, you know, you can definitely customize the experience of it. Um, but again, you also want to make sure your content on your website is kind of cohesive and co- and consistent with your brand. So even if it's writing a professional piece of content for you, maybe your brand is really spunky and like it just, there's a disconnect and it doesn't make sense. And people, whether it's, it might be something that they pick up unconsciously, but it's definitely something that they would pick up subconsciously. If like, well, this doesn't sound like it was written by this company. Like this doesn't sound. And I think it is pretty like, you've got to have consistency across your website. So if you're updating, you know, your homepage with AI generated content, like it, it's gotta be like personalized um, and bringing in again, going back to like the language that you use and stuff like that. Um, because it's likely that you do have that kind of unique perspective and that unique language to bring to the table. Yeah. So really sounds like taking a step back and asking like, does this sound like me? Does this fit in? You know, how would I, if I were to rewrite that? And maybe that's another good step is you write out examples already on yourself by yourself and then go to AI and ask for some input and then try to, you know, merge the two and, and make it your own. I think that's, that's, um, going to be a really important step moving forward, as, especially as that content becomes more and more accessible to to more people. Yeah, and I think honestly, taking the step back in terms of like knowing who you are and what your capabilities are too, because like from my perspective, I would look at like that outline that it produced for me for that course. I look at that and I'm like, um, it just it doesn't feel like it's me. Number mm. one, and it's harder for me to take that completed outline that it produced for me and customize it than it would be for me to just create something from scratch on my own. And I feel like that's more valuable. Um, again, I understand like there's a lot of time constraints, especially with marketing and for pet business owners and figuring out how to have time for blog posts and things like that. But having an, an outline already, or maybe it just produced the outline and you kind of added in from there, just kind of realizing like what's going to be easier for you. Is it easier for you to create something from scratch or create from outline? Or is it easier for you to see what's produced and then, and then customize it? But for me, it was, it was, it, I think it'd be a lot harder to have it written and then being like, let me just add this word in here to add some language. You know, it's, it's like a little bit more than that. So it can actually end up taking more time. Yes. And especially if you if your brain is not wired like that. And I think we can all just take a moment and sit and let's think back to high school English where you had to grade or do something with your, with your partner's paper. Right. And if you looked at that and we're like, well, I don't, what do, how do I mark? That's not for you. Make it, write it from scratch. Maybe go to ChatGPT for for help and and for guidance or pointers or maybe topic t- things. You know, I you can I know you can like put, paste in what you've already written and maybe ask. You know, what are things that I'm missing or how could I improve this or you know use it as an assistant in that way as opposed to just having it write and then copy and paste. Yeah, that's honestly a great idea to do that. And I'm glad you referenced the high school thing too because that is true. When you when you get somebody else's paper or somebody else's writing, it's pretty obvious that it's not yours because yeah. they have such a different style or vibe or perspective. So knowing that like, if, if you have, if you're good at writing and you're able to kind of creatively meld that together, then, then good on you, you know, go for it. But a lot of people struggle with that too. So that's just something to keep in mind that you want to be genuine and, and intentional with the content that you're putting out there. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Susan, the pet gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. 
this decision was a good one. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessional. Earlier, you had said the word about functionality, having having a functional website. I am curious about this because I hear that thrown out a lot, making sure your your website works for you. How do you make it when you're putting this together, when you're designing a website or when you're putting these templates together, how do you test that functionality or is it, is it testable or how do you understand like, oh, this one is a good working website. This is not kind of how, how do you determine the the difference between those two? Yeah. Um, in terms of like literal tests and functionality practices, um, there's kind of a lot that you can actually do that are pretty quick little tests. Um, for example, um, and I'll get, these are a little bit more finite, not, not high level, but, um, mobile friendly tests, for example. And I don't know if this is something that maybe we could put in the show notes or a blog post that you have for this course, but I can even link to the ones that I use, um, for making sure that like, basically you can plug in your URL and it will tell you, yep, this website is good on all fronts in regards to mobile. Um, because that is very important to have. So and that's, I would argue very necessary to have these days. Um, you can also do the same thing with broken link checks. Um, that's something that will not only hinder your user experience, but actually is really bad for SEO as well. So if you have broken links on your website, you can enter your URL into, I think it's actually called like brokenlinkcheck.com. But again, we can, <laughs> I can send you the proper links for that after. <laughs> sure. um, but that's a way that you can check, you know, how many broken links you have on your website to make sure it's actually working. Um, another thing for how functional website is, is website pop-ups. Um, mm. Google best practice and actually also per user best practice is to not have extremely large pop-ups and to not have them pop up automatically, like immediately when you land on a website, because you're now blocking from the user experience. Google doesn't know what, what to read here. And that comes off as spammy to Google. So they actually hinder you on, on their, you know, algorithm and ranking system there. So if you do have pop-ups, I would add a delay to them. So maybe whether that's, you know, six to eight seconds or something like that after they land on the page. And only having it take up like a small portion of the page. So like they can clearly see it, but it's not blocking their experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some other things, if you want me to keep going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These are, these are site, great. Site load speed time is really important. I will say a um, little disclaimer on this one, though, with the functionality test that you can run on site speed. There's so many factors that go into it. Everyone kind of does it a little bit different. And it actually depends on their Wi-Fi, their router, you know, their information. So it kind of, it, it just depends on so much. So with that one, I actually kind of organically recommend you clearing your cache and then, or asking your friends if they've never been on your website to load your website and things like that to make sure that it's loading quickly. Um, you can definitely do some of those checkers and stuff, but they are like kind of notorious for not being very accurate and showing you kind of scary numbers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say on that, I ran a speed load test on our website and I was like, uh, yeah, I, I was very panicked and very angry for a long time. <laughs> and I was like, no, it seems to load fine for me, but that, ah, and it's very frustrating because then you're left going. And I know with some of these too, is like, um, maybe we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but like, okay, now I, I know that, like, what do I, what do I do? How do I make this work or, or better or, or even can I kind of thing? And you can kind of spin your wheels on these things when we have to understand that there are limits to these kind of tests and checkers that we're talking about. Exactly. For sure. Um, and site load speed is one that comes up very often and it could be just, um, I'm not sure if your site <laughs> loads quickly or not, but something to note too, is if you've already been on your website, you're 
browser already kind of has that history. So it will load faster. So that's why, and not even just deleting your history, but deleting the cache, um, C-A-C-H-E, uh, making sure that you're deleting that and then going to your website. It was, it's almost like you've never been on your website before. And then that will show you a more accurate depiction of according to your, you know, your computer capabilities and your Wi-Fi, how, lo- how fast your website will load. So you broke down you mobile friendly, broken link checks, website best practices with um, the pop-ups and then the, the site load speed. Are, are there any other functionality things that you like to, to look for? Yeah. So a little bit more broad or higher level here is take notice of the leads that you're getting. Like, are you getting leads and are they converting into bookings? Um, so that's something that I feel like a lot of people are missing out on as far as um, where are people finding you? Are you actually writing down, okay, I had, you know, this is how many leads I typically get from my site. Is that suitable to you? Like, does that sound good? Like, <laughs> are you getting, you know, one client a month and and that's awesome? Or is that not good for you? You know, taking into consideration, is it working for you at the level that you want it to be working for you? Um, and not even that too. I actually had somebody reach out who was letting me know that she's getting difficult leads um, that are not converting. And, and so that was really interesting to be like, okay, like then what's working? Why are these people coming to you and not other people, that sort of thing. And so taking into consideration who's coming to your website, is that who you want, you know, to reach out to you on your website and kind of course correcting from there. Um, another way that you can like kind of look into that is actually going to your website analytics, whether it's your native platforms analytics or something like Google analytics, um, Checking things like I'd say the the biggest two in terms of functionality of your website is your bounce rate. So that is the percentage of people that are leaving your website from a particular page. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, pages like thank you pages or contact pages can have a higher percentage, but you don't want people to go to your services page and then just leave your site or go to your homepage and then just leave your site. So the lower that percentage is, the better. Um, so that's something to definitely keep in, you know, if you see certain pages that you don't want that that high of a bounce rate to kind of reevaluate that page and go back to it and look and see, all right, am I pointing them in the next step? Am I pointing them to my services? Am I pointing them where to go from the services? Is it to contact me, create an account, schedule a call? Like what's the next step? And are you pointing them in that direction? I'm glad you mentioned about it does depend on the context because I mean, do you really care if they linger for five minutes on the thank you page? Like, no, like that just means people aren't closing the tab. Like it's just, it's not yeah. that, not that big of a deal, but yes, if they, if they're hitting the, the services or the pricing or your service area, these big important pages where there's a lot of information and they keep bouncing. And that may be too. I, I see a lot of people who go, Oh, people will go to my website and then they'll call me and they'll ask about my prices. Well, there may you then you have to understand like okay, what about it? What about your website made them call you? Cuz something wasn't clear to them and really that's where that user behavior uh and and UI comes in to understanding why certain things happened. Yeah, I think honestly being okay with knowing that your website is going to be ever evolving and ever changing. Like I'm uh, always updating my website and things like that. It's it's good to be able to respond to what's going on in your business and, and allowing yourself to kind of evolve from there. So if you are getting those calls, where can you put your pricing that might be better understood by people? Like, where are they going? And you know what, actually, I, I should have thought of this. I'll have to send you the link because I forget the name of it. it. Might be like Site Jabber or something. I could be totally wrong, but there's there's a website. We'll have to add it to the show notes. Sorry, I'm adding all these links. That's good. Um, it's really cool. And you can do there's you can gain a lot of insights even with the free one. Um, but you can actually watch people use your website. And it's oh. 
super invaluable. You can actually, it's kind of creepy actually, but, <laughs> but there's, <laughs> they'll show you like, they'll show you what people are clicking on, what pages and things like that. But it'll also have a breakdown of like, here's kind of like your average user. And it'll pull those, maybe two of those people in a day or something like that. And it'll show you like the mouse and what they hover over and what they click mm-hmm. on and where they scroll to the site. Like it's so valuable to see. I you um I remember I know Microsoft has one. It's called Microsoft Clarity. Um, okay. cool. I, but I think there, there's a couple of different ones he's out there, and I've I've never put it on our website, but I watched a video of this, and um I will say like warning: if you are the kind of person who gets frustrated at people's inability to do things when you're in the room, you might want to try and do this when you're in a more relaxed state because you'll be like, click the button, the button's right there, click the and. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very very you know backseat quarterbacking or whatever you know couch quarterback kind of thing because it's but it, it speaks to we tend to think a lot of things are very apparent obviously this is what somebody will do well no and it can be maddening but you have to accept that and go okay this wasn't perfect now I need to to move and do something different to make it more uh, more workable. Yeah. And a lot of times it's such simple changes. It could be that they didn't see your button because it's, it blends in with the site and you just need to change the color to something that's a little bit more, something that stands out more, you know, it uh, could be just as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being okay with making this. Cause I know I, I am somebody who tinkers and I, I do a lot of really little adjustments and I, I have an idea and I'll go immediately do it and I'll do change something. I guess this is just I need absolution. Michaela, is that okay that I that I do that on my website, or do I need to be better at just letting things sit for a little bit? Um, I think it's kind of a play or like a balance. I think that the more that we're updating like our content and things like that, the better. Um, SEO loves it, or Google will love it in terms of like an SEO perspective for you to go in and update your website. It shows that you are relevant, you're up to date, maybe you're sprucing and um, that sort of thing, and it's kind of nice. Um, on your own end, I guess, if you are looking at your analytics and things to kind of see, and that's kind of where that play comes in, comes in is, is letting it sit enough to kind of see if it made a difference, I guess, if that makes sense. Because if you're making changes all the time, you don't know necessarily, okay, well, what, what was it that made the difference? And now I want to put that specific thing on the other pages, or just things like that, or to, to draw conclusions of, oh, it seems like my clients really like it when I do X. Um, mind you, that's very like, a very particular thing um, <laughs> to get into, but yeah. but it's kind of nice. But in general, I would say don't be afraid to go on your website and tweak. How long do you typically wait after you make a change to determine whether it was a quote unquote success when you look at some of the functionality tests and you look at bounce rate and these other things? That's actually a really good question. Um, if you're talking from just a copy perspective, like if now I updated my website to have more keyword rich content and things like that, that can actually take a little bit of time. Mm. Um, number one, it depends how quickly Google re-indexes your page of your website. So how quickly that updated content is now reflecting in search results differently than it was before, if that makes sense. So that can yeah. actually take a little bit. Um, there are ways that you can make that happen automatically. So if you update the content on your page, you can go over to Google Search Console and say, hey, re-index this page and kind of request it. Yeah. Um, which is a kind of a nice way if you're, you know, being a little extra, which could be a good, a good thing, especially if it's a really important page. Say you got like an SEO evaluation or something and you're like, I don't have any keywords on my website. Like that's definitely something I would recommend you do. Um, but like if, you know, you're just changing a couple things and it's not a big deal, you just like messed up on a year or something like that. I wouldn't mess around with indexing. But um, as far as how long 
how long to leave it. It really depends. Um, depends on actually a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, if you live in a, if it's a really competitive market, it might take a while for you to see results in ranking. Like you could, that could actually be like a nine months year situation where you, mm. you, it could take a while for those keywords to start ranking a little bit more. But if you're not in a competitive market, um, if you're in a smaller town or there's not as many people like with a similar business model as you, I guess, um, that could actually show up. I, I'd still say probably like three months or something like that. But again, that timeline in terms of tweaking is mainly like if you're really trying to update your SEO copy, if that makes sense. Sure. But then as far as the functionality of, of like how many bookings or leads am I getting, you know, I guess you could probably just set a to a week or two weeks and go, did I see a change? Did I see an increase? Did I did, did it go down right now? Now we can, and making that one change at a time or a small number of changes each time is going to help us really understand exactly what we did. Cause you'd mentioned earlier of going, Oh, I made this change on this website on this page. I, before I go and implement that on all of my pages, uh, I need to make sure that it, it, it works and I can you know do this a little bit at a time in, in each one. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something too, you're, you're right. If it's, if it's something where you're like, I'm going to change the buttons to something that stands out, that's something that you should, if you are getting website traffic, like substantial website traffic, that's something that you can easily tell pretty quickly if it's going to make a difference because Mm. you're getting the traffic. Is it the button color changing? That's going to make a difference. Then you'll find out very quickly. Um, So kind of just step taking a step back and kind of analyzing what data you need to know um, because that is something like if you are already getting the traffic, that would be an instantaneous change. If it is the button, that's the issue. If not, you can go back to the drawing board and say, is it my copy, my branding? Is it, you know, how my website is laid out? That sort of thing, um, can really bring a lot of insight in there. It starts with understanding exactly what we want out of our website, right? That really is of going, what, what is the purpose of this? If it's to get me bookings and leads and contacts, well, I have to understand what my my, what, what my people want, right? And what language I need to use and how I approach them in these things and, and uh, not being afraid to dive into some of those, those details. Cause it is, it may be as, as straightforward as move as button placement, but it may be a lot more nuanced in terms of, well, what colors are you using on that part of the site? How are people, what have people experienced up until that point and are they ready to, to make that step with you? Yeah. And I understand that that can be a very overwhelming thing for for a lot of people because there's so much to think about. It's, it's crazy. And there's a lot of like jargon that gets thrown out from website designers. I'm sure I'm guilty of this for sure. But like, you know, something as simple as like website headlines, for example, a lot of people will throw out like, I think it's like 80% of the people who read your headline or no wait, 20% of the people who read your headline will actually continue down on your page. So that's how, you know, for example, that's how important your website headline is. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, there's so many things that I have to to master. But I think sometimes it's not as complicated as it, as it feels in the sense that you do know your people and you know what, you know, what they need and you know your favorite clients. So if you know your favorite clients, that's an easy way to just if they're your favorite clients, they're definitely going to be more than willing to, you know, chat with you about why did they pick your business? What was it that, you know, allow them walk through your website with them and say, like, do you remember like what, what was, what convinced you to reach out to me or, you know what I mean? Things like that can be really powerful and nothing needs to be so complicated and so like creative in terms of your headline, because arguably that could be not as beneficial for SEO than it is to just speak, speak their language. 
Right. Well, and that's the other thing too of, of remembering that SEO component component is yeah, it looks at keywords, looks at content, but a big part of that is is user behavior. And so if you're getting good user engagement and people are clicking through and you have good good decent bounce rates, like that influences how often your website service cuz Google's going, "Oh, people like this website and and they're going to try and match it based off the content to the people. So it, it is both a user behavior and content aspect that we're trying to balance. And I, I, if you go and try and read a website that is purely generated for SEO, it's almost incomprehensible to a human. It makes no, it's very not user-friendly. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was just thinking it'd be actually really fun for like, for me to kind of show the difference is almost like, I'm like, I should create a fake website. That's like solely SEO. So people could see like, this is the extreme of what it looks like when you are so heavily focused on SEO instead of just being, you know, genuine for, you know, your people and your, your clients. And I, I think it's, it's hard for many of us to, to understand the difference, just like visually how that would work. Because again, it gets back to a lot of our biases of, well, I know what's going on. I know what these next steps are. I know this, blah, blah, blah. Here's a bunch of words and I need to be very verbose. And here's this, this, this. Okay, done. Instead of having an actual experience for the people who are landing on your website. And that's that's what gets missed out of the purely SEO focused thing. So that'll be a really cool thing to see on your blog coming up, Michaela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> The National Association of Professional Pet Sitters is the only national nonprofit professional pet sitting association dedicated to raising and abiding by industry standards. NAPS provides pet sitters with the tools and resources to own and operate successful pet sitting businesses. And a major component of that are their in-person conferences. And so, March 1st through 3rd, 2024, in beautiful Savannah, Georgia, they are hosting their Bloom and Grow Your Business conference. Their goal is to bring together industry leaders with session topics that are idea-focused and on a wide range of subjects to foster learning, inspiration, and provoke conversations that truly matter. Registration is now open through February 19th, 2024 for only $225. Visit the NAPS website at petsitters.org for information regarding NAPS membership, certifications, and complete conference details. You're not going to want to miss it. Well, you know, as we've we've mentioned SEO several times already. What are some best practices right now, or maybe we've already touched on, on on a bunch of them? But when you think SEO and websites, kind of where does your where does your brain go to? Yeah, I'd say there are a couple, like I'd say, two big themes as far as SEO right now. Number one, and we, again, we did kind of actually touch on this one a little bit, is there is more focus on that human like element of it. Yeah. Uh, so making sure you're really personalizing everything there. And if you actually see how Google breaks down websites, um, you can actually see like what it looks like from their perspective in terms of the code. So you can actually see like it doesn't, I mean, it does matter how well designed your website is, but from a purely SEO standpoint, yeah. they're looking solely at the content that's in there and how it's unique. unique like and unique is the big word here, how it's unique compared to other websites out there. Like what mm. unique value does this particular website bring to the table? Um, and something to know about SEO too is that your website is not ranking on Google. It's your website page. So every single page of your website is an opportunity to rank on Google for a particular keyword. Ah, uh, that, I don't know whether to be uh, relieved or more stressed out whenever you say that, Michaela. <laughs> I think 
I think it's a good, no, I think it's a good thing because every page is an opportunity. Every single new blog post that you post is a unique opportunity to rank in Google. So there's only like, for example, you know, you have people come to you and and they say, I want to rank number one on Google for pet sitter. And it's like, okay, well, what page of your website do you want to rank for pet sitter? Uh And is pet sitter the best keyword for you versus, you know, longer tail keywords like San Diego pet sitter or something like that? that would be more likely for you to actually rank on. Um, but people don't realize that it's by page. It's not your website. I do know that there's this feeling or can be of like, well, I just need to make sure my homepage is well optimized. And that's because maybe that's what I want to, to go for. But realizing that if you're focusing on that, you're missing out on all this other opportunity of all of the individual pages that you have. Because I think what's important to know here is not every keyword is appropriate to land on your homepage. Right. Let's say that you really want to have your adventure hikes to, to to start to take off. Well, you want them to land on your adventure hikes page, might maybe not necessarily your home page. And so, real uh, trying to understand the again that behavior of like who's searching for me, what are they searching for, and where should they land to get the best experience with me. Exactly. And and focusing solely on your homepage could actually hurt you, right? Because say you offer the adventure outings, pet sitting, dog walks, like all of these things, you can't rank for all of those on one particular page because now you're missing out. Like it'll, they'll in essence compete with each other and can kind of hurt Uh you there. So that's why I do recommend in general, if budget and time allows to have a page for at least most of your services. I mean, obviously if you, you know, have like add-ons or, you know, dog walks and dog hikes or something like that, that you could kind of add on to one page, but you're in essence kind of separating out the the overview type services that you have. It, it may be, so it sounds like it may be a bit much to have a page for your 15 minute drop in your 30 minute drop in for your 45 minute drop in for your hour drop in, but right. instead of just having, instead of have a, a drop in page and optimize right. for that. Is that the language that they're using? Probably not. So the keywords yeah. you want to rank for are not probably drop in. It's, you know, pets, pet sitting probably. Um, because that's the language that they're using and remembering that that's what they're searching for versus, and you can still title your, you know, services, what you want to title it, but it's still worth it to kind of look at what they would call your service. That, yeah, well, that's, ooh, that can be infuriating uh, because, <laughs> because but, but you're right, because going again, what's the behavior of this person? What is their intent? And this where you mentioned earlier, like fully understand your client. Go talk to your existing clients. Where are their brains at? Where are they coming from? What are their past experiences that would drive them to type in pet sitter, pet sitter near me? Well, a lot of times Google just fills in and assumes near me. It just, you just say pet sitter and assumes near me. Uh, going, where should they, what page should they land on? And then, and then build from there. And right, understanding that lingo is different. We have a lot of, we, we don't feel like we have a lot of jargon in the pet sitting industry, but we do. Like you just pointed out, you're like, ah, no, drop it. Bad. Don't like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not necessarily. But, you know, that's not something I would search for in Google. Like, I need a pet drop in. You know, it's like, yeah. nope, I don't know <laughs> that terminology. I need a pet sitter. <laughs> yes. Yep. I just need a pet sitter. And I would figure out how that works for me. Right. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, and one one other piece of the SEO best practices too of trends that are coming into play is it's becoming, I think, a, a lot more important to worry about, not worry about, to implement off-page SEO versus on-page SEO because in, in essence, anybody could pay you know, for great SEO. You can pay for a great website. You can pay for 
me or somebody else to set up your website with SEO best practices and boom, now all the websites have great SEO, right? So where does the unique factor come into play? It's actually off-page SEO. So those are things like your Google business profile, which is formerly Google My Business. Um, Those are things like backlinking. So getting others to link back to your website. Um, Or if you're a part of like a chamber of commerce, like that would be a way for you to backlink or be listed somewhere. So the more places that you are, especially for local businesses, like more local websites that your website is uh, featured in, podcasts, like whatever it is, like to get people to link back to your website. Those are things that are really powerful these days for SEO. And a lot of people will actually argue that backlinking is like one of the best things that you can do for your SEO. Uh, So going out and making those connections and you know, I, I, if you know of a company who's also blogging about local resources or things like that, you know, offering to be on that. And with things like, um, I know a lot of community events and things like Chamber of Commerce may post about, oh, we're hosting this event, and thanks to our sponsor, insert link. That, that would that be an appropriate backlink to to us that we should you know maybe look look for? Yeah, if they're linking to you in an email or a um, like online publication or a blog article or anything, or just on the website, linking back to your website with the hyperlink in there, like that is that's key for sure. Mm. Now, when I, I'm looking at my existing website, um, from your perspective, is it better to take an existing web page? I'll say, well, I'll say web page, not website, since we're talking about pages and specifically. See, I'm 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 learning, Michael. Uh, <laughs> I have a web page in front of me and I'd like to make it better. Should I work with that existing page or should I burn it to the ground and build a whole new one in its place? Hmm. Honestly, it probably depends on how bad it is, I guess. <laughs> um one thing I guess I guess I would note as a disclaimer there, if you did start scratch to make sure that the URL like slug portion of the of the URL. So like, for example, my website is petmarketingunleashed.com. So say my contact page would be backslash contact, but say I hated that page. I wanted to start over and I did a new one. And that link was now backslash contact me. That's going to create problems. So you would want to set up a 301 redirect. Oh, um, and I don't want to get too techy on here, but it's just something to think about when you're creating new pages I wouldn't, your, your two options are to keep the same exact slug. So the slug portion is just like contact. Um, you would keep that same one or you would set up a 301 redirect and you can just Google like Wix 301 redirect or Squarespace 301 redirect and it'll show you how to do it. And that way it'll automatically redirect people who say somewhere on your blog, you have a link to your contact page and now that contact link is broken. But now there's a 301 redirect and it's going to automatically set them up. And if you have SEO already working for you and ranking for you on that page, it'll automatically, you know, turn that over too instead of you losing your progress. That makes sense. Uh, so I just put that out there for yeah. new pages. Yeah, no, it, it, that's that's a good caveat to understand like what because we don't we don't want to break things we don't want broken links and because I you know especially for a slash contact page I guarantee you that's on all sorts of blogs on your own website you've given that to maybe it's on blogs of other businesses or on podcast pages or all sorts of things and bad links Google doesn't like bad links like I know you mentioned that at the beginning of like check your checking for broken links internally on your on your page but also other pages trying to link to you so kind of having that nice cohesive flow of um, of connectivity uh, in, ma- in maintaining that. Yeah. And if you have the Rio 301 redirects in place, you don't have to stress as much if somebody else has, you know, not updated the, you know, your website 
URL because it's automatically going to redirect them. So it's not like an emergency, like you guys need to change this immediately because it's going nowhere. It'll still point them to the correct page that you want them to correct. Um, but I think as far as starting over fresh versus updating, that really is kind of like a case by case basis, I would say. Um, if you are wanting, you know what I mean? Like if you're wanting to start fresh, then start fresh. Um, just making sure that you know, it's, it's fulfilling the purpose that you want to fill and it's not leading to a broken page, that sort of thing. Um, but there are ways if like, say you've got your website professionally done or you kind of, you love it, but maybe it just needs to be a little bit like modernized. Those are where you can definitely go in and make, you know, quick and simple changes to spruce your website. Like I haven't fully redesigned my website since I've started my business, but I definitely have made huge changes without deleting the leading pages, I guess. Yeah. I I think again, what's the purpose of that, of that Futzing with is basically is this is am I updating because I've got brand colors? Am I changing this because I have different information, or am I going after this for SEO purposes? Because then also you have to consider: does this new page match, or is it cohesive with everything else? So you know, completely tearing it out and replacing it with this brand new flashy web page. Well, that's that looks really good, but how does it compare to everything else in your website? So yeah, this this time, budget, and ability all come into factor with that. For sure. And there are ways, for, at least for most, I imagine most website platforms would allow for this, but there's a, there is a way that you could start a, a new page fresh, like they, or like duplicate your page and have a separate one that's hidden from the public mm-hmm. so that you have the freedom and time to kind of do one page at a time, if that makes sense, and then kind of publish it all together without losing anything. Um, or like with Wix, you could even redesign your website, but just hit save instead of publish and you can wait until you're completely done before you know everything goes live. So that way it is consistent. Because yeah, that is kind of one thing to keep in mind is you don't want to drastically change one page of your website while everything else stays the same. Like you want everything to kind of flow organically. So perhaps instead of fully redesigning your homepage, first do your colors across your site. You know, like doing things that you can do on all of your pages first could be a, an easier, more manageable thing over time. Now you your uh, your your platform of choice is on is on Wix, right? And uh, so being the being the Wix wizard among us, um, where where do you go to stay up to date with all the stuff that they're they're changing and and updating and, and all these functionality things that they're they're adding? Yeah, I mean to be honest, on my end, I'm I'm technically a Wix partner, so they provide us with a lot of resources on like everything that's happening. Like there's a lot of beta things into play. Like they actually just released a brand new editor that I'm like, okay, like let's see if if it's worth kind of bringing everybody else on board with this one because you can stick with the older one. My thought process behind Wix is that it's just the easiest for people to maintain if they're not super tech savvy, and that's most important because again, looking from Google and SEO, the websites that are not stagnant are the ones that are ranking better. So if you just have a website and you don't know how to go in and edit it and you're like, nope, like I'm not dealing with this. That's kind of where ranking can can be affected. Um, so that's why I use Wix. But a lot of my resources come directly from, from Wix for the Wix mm-hmm. partners. Um, I'm in also a couple of different Facebook groups for Wix um, and that sort of stuff. But they do a lot of webinars. Um, when they just released that new platform, they actually did like a lot of in-person webinars and um, networking events and things like that for um, all their functionality because it's very different. They have it actually seems really cool, but I think could be a little bit more of a learning curve. So I don't know if it's quite worth it yet for, uh, for clients because I want them to be able to maintain their websites on their own, even if there's increased functionality and things like that. I think it's super important for them to really know what they're doing on their website and not have. To, of course, I'm here to help, but not have to really need me 
if they don't want to. I did want to kind of close out here talking about that user experience a little bit more because um, I know many times we get stuck with things not working or we want to make sure it's a really good experience for people. So when we think about this onboarding process of new clients or even potential clients, what what factors do we need to consider to, to make sure that not only are they having a good experience, but they end prepared for my company and our expectations? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's, I feel like a really important one for me just because I love onboarding so much and how much, how much can we get them prepared for or feeling comfortable or not, you know, confused and things like that. I'd say the first thing again, and I've kind of said this phrase before, but taking that step back and kind of reevaluating your process before you do anything on your website, um, because it's likely that there are things that you can either remove, put together, um, or consolidate or things or automate. Like there's a lot that can kind of be changed there. So kind of writing down like, okay, what's every single step in the process? Like from the smallest detail, like I put it in, I write it in my Google calendar, like whatever it is, um, like just itemizing every single item in your list and then seeing what you can kind of remove or simplify, I think is the biggest thing because the more simple it is for somebody to come in and join um, and be a part of the pet care team that you have, like the easier it will be. Um, but as far as like more design and technical aspects, making sure your information on your website is really easily digestible. So um, bolding and italicizing and outlining, like numbering your steps. Um, but again, it's kind of funny. And someone actually pointed this out to me before um, about my own website that I'm, I'm being vulnerable here <laughs> about my yeah. steps of saying that, you know, it's as easy as one, two, three. And I have the steps like here's step one, two, and three of our VIP day process, for example, she's like, you have it as simple as one, two, and three, but then you have a long paragraph underneath of this simple, you know, this simple step. And I was like, Oh, I was like, that makes sense. Like, how do I consolidate that down to actually show? Yeah, this is easy. You don't need to read this whole paragraph to understand that this is what, you know, step one is. And I yeah. feel like that's super, I actually really loved that feedback. So that's something to definitely keep in mind. Like, what information are you putting out there? Like, hey, this is simple, but now the page is like super long or you have a whole bunch of text. And I'm like, well, this doesn't seem very simple, right? So like, <laughs> how can we remove the fluff of what the onboarding process is for them? Like keeping actually keeping it simple because you don't want to overwhelm them. And all they need on the website is the information they need in order to make the purchase decision. Like they don't mm. need to know everything on your website just enough for them to say, yeah, I want to work with them. Like, let's click this button and initiate that process. I love how you started off by talking about what what do we need to remove, right? How do we simplify this? Because I know us, we did the same. We were like, it's as easy as one, two, here's one, two, three steps. And then we're like, oh, there's actually like a step one, a point two. And then there's like... (laughs) <laughs> like all these little sub things and 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 we got to the point where we're like well every they have to know every single part of this and and we started cramming it in it was you know it's this 74 step process and really stepping back and going is all that necessary and importantly do they need to know that now right what's the point of them pressing submit is it just you know an inquiry form is it to actually start services what are you trying to lead them to and what information do they need to know appropriately by that point like they don't need to go into like when they're just submitting an inquiry form that's not the time to tell them about your in-depth lockbox rental policy and your like all, no it's not <laughs> it's is what do they need to know at that point okay now what do they need to know at the next point and and that way you are informing them appropriately and setting them up for each step along the way 
Right. And then that goes back to kind of that user experience and that personal touch of being there at each step and showing them like, now here's what we're going to do. Like it, it makes it more fun too. Cause you're like, all right, like here's the next step in the process instead of like, here's your like itemized 10 step checklist to like what you need, you know, you need to do is can be very overwhelming. When we talk about how do I, how do I duplicate myself? How do I replicate myself? How do I automate this, but make sure that they know and kind of feel like their hand is being held. It's I mean, well, that can be a, Hey, great. Congratulations. You just submitted next. You're going to get a phone call from us to do, go down all of the information. You can expect that within the next, you know, 24 hours. Now they're fully included and they're like, okay, great. I know what to expect. And it makes it just a lot more, a lot more personal, which is what we really want. We want them to feel connected to us, feel like they're being taken care of, even if it's just some text on a screen. Absolutely. And the sooner that you can get them to kind of like the goal is to make them make one small commitment, like no matter what that commitment is, because if they make one small commitment, they're more likely to make larger commitments. And that's something I talk about in my the masterclass I have for the website templates. It's it's called the like Caldini commitment concept. And they they found that if people were would make even the smallest of commitments, even if it's like a like button, like they'll be more likely to comment next time and then message you. And then like, it's just like this process of if you can get them to make that first initial like commitment to you, they're going to be more likely to book with you. Michaela, I want to thank you so much for rejoining us today and walking us through all of this. And as we look to have that best online presence and that best user experience and have that personalized touch to our potential clients, really leaning in on the strengths that we can pull from from our websites as best we can. Um, I know that this is kind of a big topic and there's a lot more that we didn't touch on. So uh, for those who want to dive in more, um, follow along with what you're doing and, and learn more about that, how best can people do that? Yeah. So I would say really anywhere it's Pet Marketing Unleashed. So Instagram is at Pet Marketing Unleashed. My website is Pet Marketing Unleashed. Um, we have a blog with lots of resources on this. Like I, you know, we went over um, site load speed time. Like we have a blog post just on that. We have a blog post just on website headlines. Like we have a lot of resources there. Um, but we also have our shop and services as well to help you through, you know, whatever stage and wherever you're at in your business. And, um, I believe the pet sitter confessional listeners also get 10% off, um, all of our PMU shop. So if you are looking for a website headline or a website template or, um, the blogging course, like we have a whole bunch of resources there too, that can help you along the way. I'll have those links uh, and some of the links to the blogs that you've talked about in the show notes and on our website so people can click right to that and start making the most out of their website or figuring out how they can can improve. So, um, Michaela, I thoroughly enjoyed our time together, uh, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and talk with us. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Step one, get a website. Step two, maintain and update website. It's the second step that many of us stumble on and fail to keep up with. It's hard. There's a lot going on. And the last thing that we think of is to go and look at our website and to re-index it on Google. I mean, who thinks to do that on a regular basis? So right now, set reminders in your calendar, on your notes app, somewhere so that you will have continual reminders pinging you at set intervals, whether that's once a quarter, whether that's twice a year or on an annual basis, something to start getting into that groove of not just having a set it and forget it website, but a set it and rejuvenate it kind of website so that we can keep attracting the kind of clients that we want to be attracting and have a website that continues to work for us. 
We want to thank today's sponsors, Time to Pet, and the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters for making today's show possible. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. I'm <laughs> sorry.